kick this episode off i want to say the wrap around robin tour is going on right now coming up starting today monday we have buffalo kingston portland maine Pelham, new hampshire dover new hampshire and philadelphia the artwork as always is by mike riley check him out at mikerileycomics.com and once again, we're being hosted by Splice Today. Check them out at splicetoday.com. Let's, Let's go, go in. There's an area called Concord in North Carolina. That's a little north of Charlotte. Um, and I've always kind of lived in Concord and Kannapolis up until recently when I moved up here to the mountains. And, and like, what was that area like? Uh, in Concord, the, uh, it was it was kind of a it's a kind of a weird city. Like, I grew up pretty pretty broke like you know my parents were uh frequently unemployed and stuff so like we lived kind of in like a rough area for a lot of my childhood but at the same time like a lot of the bankers from charlotte live in concord it's like this really weird dynamic where you have like a lot of really poor kids right there with a bunch of like really spoiled rich kids Mm. it's kind of weird i don't know i don't really uh I don't talk to many people from my high school or anything or or have much to do with uh, a lot of people from Concord anymore. There's a couple of people that I know and, and still keep touch with, but for the most part is, I don't know. It, it it's, uh, it's like a lot of small towns that are kind of between town and city where it's just kind of boring and shitty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I feel like I would have been better served if I'd have been somewhere like Charlotte, where there would have been people who were, like, more into music and stuff like I was. But I got into, like, making music and doing albums on four-track cassettes and stuff when I was in high school, but I didn't really know anybody that was listening to that kind of, like, lo-fi music or anything that wasn't on the radio. So I never really had other people to, like, bounce stuff off of until I was, in my 20s, basically. Right, because I, I remember talking to the Thought Criminals guys, and, like, like you've known some of those guys since, like, high school, right? Yeah, well, and, yeah. you know, actually, like, almost n- from whenever me and you first met, um, the Thought Criminals had a completely different lineup. Like, okay, most of the guys that used to be in the Thought Criminals I've kind of lost touch of or or whatever just over the years. Kind of the whole thing with Thought Criminals was, like, um, when it started, it was originally, like, me and this rap producer from Florida. And uh, and then, like, me and him finished one record that came out that way um, that nobody's ever heard. It was, like, it was, like, early 2000s. Um, but... I was working on solo stuff at the same time, and I kind of put the Thought Criminals together originally as, like, this live band that was just going to play my solo music. Back then, actually, what I was doing was kind of, like, not that it was anywhere near as good as what Chesky does, but it was more along the lines of what Chesky does. Um, Okay. Like, I was doing a lot of, like, folk rap stuff, 
Yeah. Um, and stuff like that. And so I kind of originally put that band together with the idea that I was just putting together a live band. Um, and then Sulfur, who's one of the other guys from Talk to Us Who Raps in it, when I met him, I'd actually seen him at a Sage Francis show. He um, beatboxed for uh, that poet, Buddy Wakefield. Ah. And then uh, I had like a Google alert set up on my name. <laughs> Somebody uh-huh. said something about Michael Kill. It would like send me an email. And he had posted something about uh, about me on his MySpace page because some friend of his who actually was living in Japan at the time somehow knew about my music, which is like extra weird because at the time nobody knew about my music. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> but uh, he he ended up like I reached out to him whenever I read him say the positive stuff about me because we lived so close and had never met, and then we just became like really close friends really fast. And uh, talking was kind of from there, like became like a way for me to. I started writing music for the band for it to be with this like group that would be me and other rappers. And like I think at the height of it, we had like nine people in the group. Right, right, yeah. There was a there was like a three MC and full band lineup. I think the first time we ever played together. Yeah, yeah, and back then I was like playing, like I had a MIDI controller that I used while I was playing Nintendo and stuff. Um, right, right. And that stuff was fun. It just kind of like it got to a point where it was like um, it was like all flash because like the the background I came from was more like trying to do like this Elliot Smith rapping thing, and then the the thought criminals just progressively got more and more like bombastic which wasn't really what I really meant for it to be. It was kind of like my goal was to make like kind of like noise rap stuff, I guess. Um, not that there was anything really like that that I was aware of back then, but I wanted to do this like really kind of industrially like experimental hip hop, but like that's not really what the band was back then. And then after me and you met though, I kind of like, there came a point where I kicked everybody out of the band and then I kind of just started back over at zero and like that stuff that we did then was like, we did our cold winter album and, and like, that's whenever thought criminals kind of became what it is to my mind. But it kind of, it's evolved over the years. Now it's, I use basically the same live band for thought criminal stuff that I use for, for my solo stuff. And it's just like me and a guitarist and a keyboardist and, and sulfur and, I usually run like the beats off of an audio interface and stuff. Like, at what point did you start hitting the road and playing outside of Charlotte? Well, like, Thought Criminals did a couple little one off gigs um, outside of Charlotte. But it yeah. was so hard because of having the band, it was just so expensive to travel and right, stuff like right. that. So I started doing more solo shows. I put out an album in, like, um, I guess, like 2012 called Dust. That was with uh, Romero Shaw, who's probably he's probably best known. He did some stuff for like Noah Twenty Three, and he did a he did the song Bridal for Sage Francis. Um, okay, but under a different producer name. He used to be Varric Peer. But me and him had done a record together, and I just started working with uh, Adam Warrock, producing a lot of stuff for him. And Warrock had the idea like we would do this big national tour that would be like a tour that would be me, him, Tribe One, and uh, Jesse Dangerously. And uh, 
And so that was like, that was the point where I really started touring all the time or, or not all the time, I guess, but you know, I started touring a lot or throughout the year. Um, so like we did that first tour in 2012, that was a no front tour. was like the, really the big one though. And it was crazy because Warrock kind of organized it all. So it went definitely, it, it was not a normal indie tour. Like he had all these, like, he he had gotten these different nerd companies to sponsor the shows and stuff. And we were doing shows at, at comic shops and getting like really good guarantees, staying in hotels every night and stuff. Completely different than what it's like when I tour by myself now. The nerdcore connection had already been made. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like it's weird. Cause uh, it was maybe like, it was before we put out cold winter, which is kind of like what I consider the first good record I ever did. Um, Cold Winter came out at the beginning of 2010, I think it was. Yeah. And right before that, we had played. Um, we did a show with Frontalot maybe like six months before that or something. Um, and I didn't know what Nerdcore was. I had no idea. Um, by that time, I was already like I was using a lot of Nintendo sounds and the beats I was making and stuff, and I still do. I just kind of like hide it in the beats, but. I didn't really know what Nerdcore was, but we we played this show with MC Frontalot, and there was a guy there who um, he he used to write for like Wired magazine and stuff. But he's kind of we're really good friends now, but I didn't really know him at the time at all. But uh, he goes by Z, and he he's a guy who ran like one of the big Nerdcore blogs, and he broke a lot of artists um, really to the scene. Um, but he actually wrote about us and posted some videos. And uh, all of a sudden, all these people were calling us nerdcore, and suddenly people were more interested in what we were doing than they were before in other places. And uh, we kind of just got absorbed into nerdcore, which, like, I think is probably the best way to have it happen because, you know, there's a lot of dudes um, like Mega Ran or even Frontalot himself who, like, they just were trying to make the rap they wanted to make and then nerdcore finds you and kind of like gives you an audience um, right so it's 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 been like overwhelming overwhelmingly positive for me it's kind of weird because like there's definitely some dudes who like i've definitely got friends who are like more indie rap or whatever or or you know aren't in nerdcore even if they're nerds um and they're like scared to be associated with that you know because they're like, like they think people are going to think less of them but i don't know for me it's been like this amazingly liberating thing because I can, I can just do or say whatever I wanted and it doesn't, I never really like think about how cool it is. <laughs> right. If that makes sense. Like I can just kind of do whatever I want. I, I was kind of struck by how like nice and like friendly and everything the audience, the audiences are like at like, you know, some of the Charlotte shows or like at the conundrum playing with autocorrect and like Malibu shark attack. It's like the fans are like so nice. And it's like, I don't know. That was like a small show, but it was like, okay, there's like 20 people here or something, but like all 20 people are so like amped. And that's kind of like the opposite of what I thought it was when it was like described to me. Yeah, well, you know, it's it's actually interesting to me. A lot of the nerdcore fans, um, a lot of them are the same kind of people that would be going 
the punk shows, but they're just more like a lot of them are like socially awkward, you know, it's like right. a lot of them have the same ideals and, and whatever, but they're not used to going to shows always and they don't, they're not always like comfortable in groups. So like, I don't know, to me, um, like at those kind of shows where people do get kind of like timid, it's kind of like your job to make them feel like they can do whatever and it's fine, you know, like. Right, right. Nobody's going to laugh at you <laughs> here. Uh, that's definitely a thing. Like, we do a lot of shows in comic shops and stuff when we tour. Um, and uh, those are really atypical venues, usually. Like, people can't drink, so, like, people can't relax a lot, at a lot of them. Um, but you can you end up getting, like, a really positive vibe going once you get, like, people to, to come out of their shell a little bit. I would describe them as whatever, like, the opposite of jaded is, is what they are. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which Nerdcore has very enthusiastic fans. Yeah. And very, like, people who are, the like, the big Nerdcore fans you see come out to shows all the time. They're there because they genuinely love the music and they, they want to, like, experience it. It's not like... You know, like you play some places like bars and stuff, and it's like half the people are there just to get fucked up and and hope to find somewhere to have sex with or something. But like, if you right. go to like a nerdcore show at a comic shop, like the people who are coming out to that are there because they want to hear the music and they're excited about that. Right. Which right. I think is to, it, to me, it's like a parallel with like a lot of really cool punk scenes are like that too, like where. There might be alcohol there, but people are there because they want to experience something. Do you or other people like that have sort of been absorbed into this and aren't exactly like, like, you know, a cookie cutter version of what they would want? Like, do you ever have pushback from fans that are like, that's not what we, we came here for? I, honestly, no, not uh, not normally. Like, like when me and Adam Warrock would tour together, a lot of times I'd just I'll like I'll just bring my acoustic guitar and play my saddest songs, um, right? Because his like his sets are all like he's got a lot of stuff referencing pop culture, and his songs are really fun. And a lot of his show is about like getting the crowd to sing along and being funny. And like my show is like. A lot of times it's me with an acoustic guitar just, like, rapping about being miserable. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, like, but it actually worked better. For, I think it works to my favor because it makes me stand out more that I talk so much about, like, my own problems or, or you know, who I am um, in a really personal way. Because I think if I, if I was trying to do what those guys uh, do and I was just, like, trying to be a funnier version of myself or trying to cater to that. Um, I think it would like, I would just blend in then it wouldn't be anything special about what I do. But yeah, I think the fact that I am, the fact that what I do is kind of darker and that I, um, that I do just kind of do weird stuff like, like rapping over acoustic guitar or whatever. Like, I think that stuff actually works really heavily to my favorite shows. Cause because, like, you know, it's a big thing at rap shows in general. I think it's one of the things that's cool about what you do with the Round Robin tours is, like, a lot of rap shows are just somebody 
standing there rapping with the beat playing in the background. But like from the time I met you, that was one thing that was cool. You would like, it was a different, it was something different every time I've done a show with you. Like, oh, okay. you know, like you, and, and, and like sometimes it's like straight up purist throwback hip hop, which is cool. And then sometimes like, you know, you have somebody playing an instrument or whatever the case might be. Like, I think that's, that kind of stuff is super positive because a, a lot of people just leave it at rapping. And some people were amazing at doing that, you know, like, but for me, I just feel like I got to, I got to do something else other than just be there and rap. <laughs> yeah. And do you feel like you, your tours are picking up steam or like, do you feel like you're like building an audience, not just through the nerdcore thing, but through, you know, everything that's been going down through 2012. Yeah. Uh, I think, I think so. Like it's, um, the biggest thing that I think is probably I ca- I keep touring the East coast. I've never gotten far enough West. Um, every time I do, I feel like it, it it's super beneficial and I, the East coast runs are really beneficial too. But, uh, but yeah, th- there's actually like a feature on Bandcamp that they have where you can, you can see a map that that's everywhere you've sold records. And if yeah. you look at if you look at the map um, of my sales or whatever, which I've I did it a couple of years ago where I just posted a picture of it on on uh, my website, cause just like on a little blog I wrote about touring. But if you look at the one, it literally follows like the, where the heaviest concentration of where I've sold records is. Like you can follow the trail of where I usually tour. Oh yeah, Cause, yeah. Because it just kind of follows that line, the lines of where I go. <laughs> um, so it definitely, it's definitely massively positive touring, um, and it's like, it's super rewarding too. Like even whenever, you know, play really small shows, it's just like, it's really fulfilling to connect with people. Yeah. When you're out on the road and stuff, and I always sell more stuff when I'm out on the road, like, um, but like, you know, some of the best shows I've done, like I love playing Worcester, uh, in Massachusetts hmm. and, and like, it's, it's more of like a punk scene there. Right. So like one of my, that year that we had that tour where I got snowed in and stuff, I drove through the snow from new, new Hampshire down to Worcester to play in like a little anarchist, like punk house. And I played, it was like middle of an ice storm and I played to like six people, but that was like one of my favorite shows I did that year. It was just like when you're playing for people that really want to be there and and there's like mutual enthusiasm that's, that makes it worth doing. Yeah. (laughs) You know, like Chesky talked about this to me. I don't know. I don't want to like put his business out, but like when he did Warp Tour, you know, he talked about how he didn't really like playing that many people on the big on the bigger stage or whatever that that he liked playing in the smaller rooms. Yeah, and I think it, at the time when he told me that, I didn't really get it cuz I I kind of just started touring and it, back then it was like if I would do a show and like 10 people showed up and I was on tour, I would still like enjoy myself and do the best, but I would feel bad like I'd feel bad for the people who helped me throw the show, It'd be like, "Oh man, like I'm sorry we didn't get more people out or whatever, but like 
now it's like no matter how many people show up, as long as somebody shows up, I'm like, I'm happy. <laughs> right, right. One thing I thought might be interesting to talk about, like when I first met you, you were starting to do these tours and also at the same time doing this like truck driving thing. Oh yeah. Actually I kind of finished the truck driving thing right around the time I met you. Oh, I see. see. Yeah. Like I went into like, um, it kind of stuff around the time I met you. And then I did that for a couple of years and then I got laid off. Um, and then like between 2012 and 2015, or I guess 20, like halfway through 2014, I, w- I went back to school, and then I just did music and school full time. So I was like touring all the time and doing and doing shows and stuff. And then, uh, then I kind of took another job for a little while um, that was truly awful. That was kind of like truck driving, but with being on planes, I was like constantly flying from city to city. It was like being on tour, but not fun in any way (laughs) or fulfilling in any way, shape or form. Um, But then I left, I left that when I found this job, Um, the job, like I'm an IT manager now at a place uh, in the mountains. It's like a book publisher. Um, It's kind of weird, actually like a, like a fan of mine from Indiana, knew a guy from Michigan who knew a guy that worked for this company and they were looking for an IT guy. And so I came and interviewed and I totally did not expect to get this job. Um, Cause you know, it's kind of like one of my first jobs out of college. Um, but now I am the IT manager of this book publisher. <laughs> How do you feel it is balancing that job with music, like compared to like driving a truck or like flying everywhere? Um, it's actually been super positive. I've actually, it's weird. I've been doing more shows in Charlotte since I moved up here. Mm-hmm. Now I live a couple hours away, but the, the job is like the company I work for is this really progressive company. Like we only oh. work like, we work like 37 hour weeks and, um, I'm salary, but like the boss doesn't believe in time clocks. And, you know, if I have shows and stuff, I can work over, uh, on a weekend or something. And like, I can then like take the time off as long as I get my stuff done. So it's kind of, it's kind of cool. Like I have a kind of an unprecedented amount of freedom, um, for the kind of job I have with being here. And I'm still able to work from the road since I can like remote in, you know, here I have like, I live in a really beautiful place that has a really small population. I'm kind of North of Boone, if you know where that is. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, like, you know, I have an office of my own, like with a mountain view out the window, we have a really small staff and, you know, companies mostly like really smart, progressive folks and like, I don't know. It's it's been really weird because like I had such a string of bad luck for years, <laughs> and uh, this job came along. It was like such a blessing because I still have the ability to do stuff. I can still like you know I've got a show uh, later later this month in Brooklyn that I'm I'm planning doing like a hacker conference up there and stuff. 
Oh, okay. And they're they're totally cool with me doing stuff like that. And like I told them in the interview that that's you know that's what I did, and and I, I told them about my music and stuff, and they were like into it. I felt like it was like one of the reasons I got the job is because they thought that was interesting. So the only real drawback right now is like my my wife and kids live still uh, out of town from here, you know, in my old place in Kannapolis. So. I have to oh, drive okay. home on the weekends and stuff because they haven't moved up here yet. But they will. But they will, yeah. Um, That's awesome. Me and my wife have, like, our 10-year wedding anniversary on Friday, actually. Yes. And, Congratulations, uh, man. Thank you. And we're doing, like, uh, we're doing, like, a big – it's, like, a show, you know, with a bunch of our friends and stuff um, in Charlotte. But it's also, like uh, – it's, like, our – we're calling it, like, the 10 years late wedding after party. Uh, everybody's going to go to the milestone and we're going to, you know, we're going to wear dress clothes. My wife got a new wedding dress. We're going to party at the milestone for that. And then I'm not really billing it that way, but it's kind of like my Charlotte going away party too. After that's when the family is going to move up here. So we'll be, I'll still be coming down there for shows and stuff, but I'll be around a lot less. What do you make of Charlotte generally as a, like a music space. Um, Charlotte, Charlotte is a unique place, and I feel like it's a place that, um, in a lot of ways, doesn't really get enough attention. Yeah. Um, I think we have a re- we have like a really great punk scene. We have a really cool rap scene. I don't really fit in with the rap scene in Charlotte, but it, but that doesn't you change don't? the fact that it's. I don't, I don't think I do. Um, I feel like you're like the center of it. But maybe that's just nah. my weird perspective. No, nah, I don't. I definitely don't think I'm the center of it. Oh. Uh, I think it, it's kind of weird. Like, actually, Charlotte's rap scene is a very like, um, like true school sort of scene. Oh, right, right. Uh, we've got like a really, a really dope um, like b boy contingent. People hmm. um, like you know we have like b boy team and people break dance and it's like a big thing there and. Um, I think a lot of people don't really um, think Charlotte would be like that, but it it totally is. It's like a lot of uh, like really cool b boy events and stuff. But uh, I kind of never fit into it because I was always so like weird, you know. Like I have, I'm friends with all those people, um, but if those people play shows, they don't usually ask me to play with them. <laughs> you, oh, know, yeah. like, <laughs> you know, and I mean, it, and that's fine. Um, but uh, but so it does have like an amazing punk scene. It's got an amazing rap scene. Um, I, I think like um, one of the things with Charlotte for me is like like Chapel Hill. Everybody plays there and they skip Charlotte, you know. But like mm. if you play a show in Chapel Hill to forty people, it's not as cool as playing a show in Charlotte to twenty. Yeah. Because Charlotte has very enthusiastic crowds, and the people who live in Charlotte are like they're into music. Like the 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 scene is cool because like people like music in Charlotte, and they're not there just to get drunk. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, so I think like I think Charlotte has a really dope scene. I think. Um, I think that was always like a thing, you know, like with Nerdcore, when I got discovered by Nerdcore, it was like I had found my scene because I didn't really fit in at home. Um, yeah. 
and like even now like a lot of times uh, I'd kind of rather play punk shows a lot of times than rap shows um, sure, at yeah. home um, just because I don't really I don't know I don't really fit in but I don't really fit in anywhere I guess maybe I just need to make more of an effort to to like cross that boundary I don't know I often feel that way with Baltimore like I've kind of like lost my some of my connection to Baltimore because like even though I live here, just because I'm I'm older, you know, and then like like a lot of people that were that I knew kind of went away, and then but it's like I feel like you kind of have to be like, but that's fine, you know? Yeah, yeah, you know, it's uh, it definitely is a thing, you know, as you get old, as you get older. And if you're working on music all the time, it's really hard to like keep going to shows every night. Yeah, yeah. Like, I put out like as far as solo albums go, I usually put out at least one album a year and a couple EPs. Yeah. And but I'm also like you know I produced most of Sulphur's last record. Uh, I produce a ton of Adam Warrock's music. I do a lot of I do the mixing on a lot of different albums for other people. Um, so I'm like. And we do, me and Warrock do a lot of like jingles for comic shops and stuff like that too, like radio jingles and stuff. Yeah. So like, it's like, I'm always working on music. So it's hard. It makes it hard to like go out just to see stuff sometimes. Because yeah. Yeah. I'm always so busy. No, and totally. I and a wife. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and it definitely yeah, used to be bad about like I would just I would let everything else in my life fall to the side just to work on music and just to go to shows and there just okay. kind of came a point for me where like I realized like oh I haven't hung out with my wife in like three or four weeks because I wake up whenever all I was doing was music like I would wake up at nine start making beats and writing and like I wouldn't see her till I came to bed you know and like I'm kind of like a workaholic in a lot of ways, so I had to, like, yeah. whenever I wasn't working a normal job like I am now, like, I had to give myself hours, like, all right, I'll do this from, like, 9 to 5, but after that, I got to do other stuff, because otherwise, I would just, I just won't do anything else. And it's kind of like the work is never done. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, like, and, you, you know, you kind of can't be... Um, ever done it depending on what you want to do with it I feel like for me like I've been I've been doing this so long um, it's it's like weird it's so like second nature the the only like I, I never get tired of making music but the older I get the more like tired of trying to promote music I am right right <laughs> absolutely <laughs> so, like, I find I find that part exhausting and I mean, you're yeah, always so. on tour, so I can only <laughs> yeah. imagine for you. <laughs> so you feel even touring is kind of like you're getting tired of it? Well, I'm not really getting tired of touring. I'm getting tired of... I'm getting tired to a degree of doing shows when I'm not touring. Like, doing doing one-off shows um, is kind of exhausting. Oh, like in in other cities and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Where you know, like somebody will offer me like 
a guarantee or something and I'll go do like a one-off weird thing and then come back. That's kind of drained. Um, it's kind of hard, I don't know, to do that. But one thing that me and Tribe One did, and he's that guy from Malibu Shark Attack. Yeah. Um, we did an album last year. It was actually his idea because he's a school teacher. Um, so oh, okay. he can't tour at all during the year. Right, um, right. But he's yeah, he's like um special needs educator. Um so like we've been talking about doing an album for a while and he was like, Well, you know, he's like, Well, it's summer, let's just do a whole album in a week and then we'll book oh, the yeah. tour while we record the album. <laughs> and then that's so that's what we did was two weeks and we called it two weeks notice. Um and so we did that last year. That was one of the most fun tours I've ever done. We like we did the album in a week. Um, we we handmade the CDs, and we had uh, this guy who worked on the art for that TV show Archer. Um, he did the cover, oh. and like we just printed posters of the cover and did like these handmade CDRs that we like hand stamped with rubber stamps. Um, and then we just kind of went out and we did these. We did a lot of like really small things. We did like a like a collective in Detroit and different like. Um, shows and comic shops and stuff like that. And we went as far out as like, you know, we started here or in this area in, in North Carolina. And then we, we ended up making it all the way to Michigan, all the way to like, um, uh, Minnesota to, uh, all kinds of places down to Texas. Like so we ended up covering like a huge amount of ground and it was one of my favorite tours I've ever done. So, I think we're going to do that again this year um, in July or early August. I'm hoping that's oh, our that's plan fun. right now. So um, I really enjoyed that. I think the big thing for me is like, I don't know if I could ever do a tour again where I didn't have like a close friend with me to like touring with me. Just cause you get depressed. Just the isolation. I don't know. Yeah. It's the same thing I hated about trucking, I guess, is, like, at first it's cool, like, you're traveling and you're seeing new stuff and whatever, but after a while it's, like, you're isolated all the time. It starts, making, it starts doing stuff to your head. I don't know. And I'm not no, I'm, I'm not, not even, that. like, a, I'm not an extrovert. I'm actually a really introverted person in a lot of ways. But it, uh, I don't know, just the isolation gets to me. i got to have somebody to talk to. Sometimes. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I hear you, man. So that's cool. So you guys are going to do another tour like that. Hopefully. Yeah, I think we're going to. And we're planning on doing another, like, we're going to do an actual album that I produced for him, too. When you guys were doing that, did you feel, like, scared at all? Of, like, what if we can't, like, come up with something? No, not at all. Like, okay. Trab One, he takes forever to write. But me personally, like... I I work really really fast on production and on on words. Yeah, and if it takes, like if I start working on a song and it's taking a long time to get done with it, I just throw it away. Okay. Like, um, I don't know. Like, it's just it's always like this attitude for me personally. Like it's like if I have to wrestle with it, then it's it's just not meant to be, and I just I do the next thing. So like. 
one of the things Sulphur used to say was um, that watching me make a beat was like watching a, a speed run of a video game or something. Because, <laughs> like, that's kind of my thing, and like, I'd kind of take pride in it. You know, the, I can I can flip out a beat, especially if I'm making something out of samples. Like, I can have a beat in 20 minutes, like, ready to go. Yeah, yeah. So, and when we were doing when we were doing two weeks notice, I still was only doing music full time at the time. And since it was the summer, he didn't have school, so like we would get up at nine in the morning, and I would I would start making beats at nine, and then I would make beats until noon when he got online, and then we would write to the stuff I had written, uh, or we would write to the beats I'd made for maybe like four or five hours and then he'd hop off again. I'd make beats until like 9 p.m. Then he'd get back on around like 10 and then we'd write until like we decided to go to bed. It was like, it was making a record in a week, but it was, it was so many hours of work, like directly. Um, It was fast, but it wasn't rushed. It was definitely like a lot went into it. You said at that time you were doing, you were just doing music as a occupation. Yeah, yeah, that was like that was basically my focus. I was still doing a lot more shows on the road at the time, and right. then I was also, uh, I was always also just like constantly working on it. Um, but I kind of I knew that it, it it has never really been my goal to be um, just a full time musician. Right, like, because right. I don't. Uh, me personally, I just it, like it's not sustainable for me because I've got kids and stuff. Yeah. Um, but you know, I have one of my friends. Uh, it's this guy Dualcore, and he's he's um he's like a hacker who raps and stuff, and he works. His day job is doing like um, IT security stuff. And, oh, okay. Like like penetration testing and stuff like that. Um. So, like, one of the things that's always really inspired me about him, though, is, like, he's constantly doing shows. He's constantly traveling and stuff. But for him, it was, like, he's made his job feed his artistic career. Because, you know, he's the one who got me on on this hacker conference I'm doing in June and, right. and stuff. Like, he he's always doing those kind of events and doing doing shows. He'll... There were times he used to live in Ohio and now he lives in Austin, but uh when he lived in Ohio, he would drive all the way from like Cincinnati to the milestone to play a show, come back to my house, sleep for two hours, and then drive back. And and like his dedication to coming down and just flipping a dope show and then knowing he had to go back to work Monday, but like not having to worry about it because he has a dope job, but also you know, paying for itself for the most part and being able to pursue his art as far as he wants to, like, that was really inspiring to me. And that's kind of what I've always wanted for myself. And the job that I have now kind of contributes to that because the company I work for does a lot of, like, conventions and stuff like that. So I'm kind of working my way into a position where I can start going to represent the company at those and then book shows at night in these other cities. So like that's kind of always been my goal is to do a thing where I can pursue my art as far as it will possibly take me, but I also don't have to worry about like 
you know, where my kids are getting fed from. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, exactly. In having kids, like, did you have a point where you felt like you weren't sure about, like, okay, do I just, like, go harder with the music or or what? Yeah, absolutely. Um, actually, I'm, like, I'm assuming by the time this comes out, my record will probably be out, but, like, I'm about to put out my new record, Human Disaster, and there's a song on the record about that called Daddy mm. Works. And the first time I ever played Brooklyn, um, my daughter was probably, probably like two at the oldest, but she called me on the phone. I was driving through a snowstorm, driving like straight from Charlotte to Brooklyn to play this show, driving through the snow, and my daughter called me um, hysterical, wanted me to come home. Mm. Um, and it was truly brutal. I wanted to just, like, turn the car around. But um, at the same time, I think it's kind of – it was important to me to to demonstrate to the kids, to my daughter and my son, that, like – you should you should pursue your dreams. You should pursue, you know, whatever artistic endeavor is is like what motivates you. But that's also part of like it goes into what I was saying before about um, wanting to do my art, but also having a job that would feed my art and vice versa. Like I want to demonstrate to my kids that you can kind of do both. That you right. can like you can you can. Pursue your art, you can, like, you know, you can have fans and you can have, you can have an artistic career, but you also, you know, you can have a normal life. You can have, you can have a wife and kids and stuff. You don't have to sacrifice everything. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. To me, it's kind of important to demonstrate that to my, my children. What are you saying if you did turn the car around, you know? Yeah, exactly. It would be just like. It, I would have, if I would have just turned the car around, then I would have let down a group of people who were waiting on me to get there. I would have totally like failed to fulfill uh, and my word about what I said I would do. Um, yeah, you know, like there's a lot that goes with that. And and when I was younger and my kids were younger, it was a lot more of an issue. You know, like the first time I did. Um, Southwest, Southwest, like my daughter had just been born, and that was it was really stressful because it was the most I'd been away from her and stuff. Yeah, but I knew also it was like something I had to do. You know, whenever me and my wife, now we've been together ten years, but at the time whenever we got engaged, uh, I wasn't really, I wasn't touring, and my music was nowhere. Like I was working on it all the time, but I wasn't getting anywhere with it. And, but, you know, like when we got engaged, I told her, it was like, you know, this is not something I'm going to ever be able to stop. Like, yeah, this is just kind of part of who I am. And if you, if you are sure you want to be, have to deal with that forever. Right, right, right. <laughs> like, then, then cool, we can do this. But like, I had to, I had to tell her even when we were, getting engaged, it's like, you know, this is just always going to be a part of who I am. It's just what I do. 
No, totally. For better or worse. <laughs> so, I didn't realize there is an even newer release than the EP you put out recently. So you have something that's coming out, like, next week or something? Yeah, yeah. It's coming out on the 14th, and it's a record I've actually been working on for, like, five years. Okay. Um, it, it, I've put out a bunch of albums in that time, but I started working on the songs for this in probably, well, probably 2012, I guess. Yeah. Um, but it's... The last album I put out was um, called "The Snuggle Is Real." Yeah, and it was uh, it was a it was pretty upbeat record and stuff, but it was actually made out of like outtakes from this record. Okay. Um, and I, and this record is kind of the way I described it at the time was that record was like the party, and this record's like the funeral. <laughs> um. <laughs> It's kind of like a culmination of everything I've done as a solo artist in the past four or five years. And my plan, I mean, you know, and this might change. It's I'm not retiring as Michael Kill or anything, but um, this is probably the last Michael Kill album for a while. Like, okay. I plan on, I've got other projects I'm already working on, um, you know, like, we're going to do another two weeks notice. There's a new thought criminals album in the works that we've already been working on for like a year. Oh, cool. there's a, there's a new uh, group that I put together. That's like me, dual core tribe one sulfur and uh Kaiser soul who's a really good Charlotte. Oh rapper. yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Cool. I think he's played with you actually, maybe. Yes. Um, but but so we've got like a group we we're doing together too that we already have a bunch of songs written for us. So it's not like the end of me putting out records, but as far as like solo albums, I think it's the last solo album I'm going to do. Why is that? Um, you know, I keep bringing up Chesky, but like the first time I did a mini tour with Chesky, um, one of the things we talked about was I don't even remember what artist we were talking about. We were talking about somebody that had decided not to put out records anymore with their with the band or something and they had just dissolved their band and it was like at the height of their popularity whoever it was oh, okay um and i was like that's so weird why would you do that and he was like i don't know i think it's a good idea to to you know give things an ending and not let it just peter out and right right like, um and i i thought about that a lot and i've continued to think about that a lot and uh i think it's true and i think for me like this album, after I put out this album as Michael Kill, I just don't know what else I have left to say as a solo artist. Okay. Um, you know, like, I have more to say, and, but um, lately, lyrically, I'm only inspired when I'm writing with other people. I'm not really, I haven't, I've been writing tons of instrumentals and stuff, but I haven't really, I haven't been writing raps as much as I was before, except for whenever I'm working with the different group projects I have. Yeah. Um, whereas it used to be just a thing I did all the time. Um, so I don't know. I don't feel motivated to to do stuff just as a solo artist. I'm a lot more into working with other people right now and with balancing ideas as a rapper off of other rappers. Yeah. Um, and it's just motivating me more that way. I feel like... I feel like I've said everything I can say as 
as Michael Kill is a solo artist. Uh, so it's kind of like this is the this is the apex of what I have to do as Michael Kill, the solo guy. So at least for now, that's gonna be that's gonna be it for that. Yeah. Oh, um, I look forward to hearing it, man. Yeah, I appreciate it. Like, yeah, I'll send you a copy of it. I haven't sent anybody any of the music. Like, earlier today, um, I actually sent one of the people who's on the album the song they're on for the first time. I've been so, like, (laughs) I've been adjusting so much stuff, like, all the way up to the last minute with it. It's kind of a weird thing, because the last record, um, The Snuggle is Real, we did the whole thing in, like, two weeks. And it it was basically outtakes of this record. So it was, like... We did the whole record really fast, and and all these people liked it, and everybody kind of told me it was my best work. So then I like looked at this album I'd been working on for years, and I was like, well, this has to be amazing now, <laughs> right, right? Because I've I've spent so much more time on this, so it was kind of like paralyzing for a while. Uh, like I definitely think it's an album of the best songs I've ever written, but also it was like. It has to be better than that last one. So it was kind right, of like, right. it made me scared to put it out for a while. Um, and, and like I said, we have still been tweaking some things up to the end, but I think uh, I think people are going to like it. I think oh, it's really awesome, good. <laughs> <laughs> well, tight. Uh, is there anything else you want to mention? I oh. should probably say the, uh, the link to get to the album. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, like if you want to get to the album, hear any of my music or stuff. There's a, a website that is just uh, how could you do this to dot me. Uh, that is the website. Oh, cool. uh, yeah, and there's also michaelkill.com, but if you go to how could you do this to dot me, it takes you to the new album, and then there's also links to for the old stuff there. Cool. All right. Well, thanks again, my man. Hey, thank you, man. All right, that's it. See you next week.